You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host, Ian Lamberson. With me, as always, my friend, my colleague, a man who was once described as being X-Chain in the membrane. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. (laughs) I love that. That was good. That was super good. That was a great one. There we go. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, you know, we are recording a little bit later this later than usual this week because we wanted to uh, watch a little CONCACAF Champions League final and finally see a Major League Soccer side lift the trophy. But alas, it did not happen. And uh, today is a day of mourning. Uh, But we will get more into the specifics of that later. Uh, We're going to be a little looser, taking some uh, listener questions this week and a slightly different style to the show. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's get into We're it. We're wearing black today. We are wearing black right? today uh, uh, for, for the good of the league. Um, let's get into it. Uh, we will start, as usual, with our stat of the week. And this one is a bit of a doozy. Uh, this is from our friend at Dummy Run, a frequent contributor to the stat of the week segment. And thank you, as always, at Dummy Run, uh, who notes that Sebastian Legette gets 12.1% of the Galaxy's touches, but his average pass travels 2.1 yards backwards. This is uh, unique for a midfielder. Yeah, it is. That's crazy. I honestly have a lot a hard time believing that. So I'm actually I, I'm digging around now through the interactive tables and I'm I'm taking a look at <laughs> to see what what's all going on and and actually it's kind of funny. Um, Emmanuel Boateng is also in the negative, although he's slightly less. Um, I don't see anyone that has his volume of touches Alfonso Davies uh has 10 percent of touches and uh, is uh, a average vertical of 1.5 hmm. yards uh negative 1.5 yards so it, it looks like there's uh, a sort of trend um it appears there is about 21 different players with at least 100 pa- passes from the attacking midfield that have an average uh negative vertical so that's something to consider um yeah for for players that's kind of uh dumbfounding that's not to say you know they they don't necessarily play balls forward just uh they have lots of uh negative uh yards when it comes to that going back play probably playing back to either fullbacks uh like in Boateng's case uh Rodney Wallace has a negative 3.9 vertical so I imagine that probably is uh, another thing, although he has only 5.9% of uh, New York City's touches. So, yeah, it, it's really, uh, really interesting when it comes uh, to that. Every player that you just named, and you didn't name all of them, obviously, but uh, immediately my mind hit me as a dribbler of sorts. Um, a player who likes to advance the ball forward by themselves. Uh, I wonder if that might be kind of something we're seeing as well. No, that's a really great point because um, you think about NYC, uh, Vancouver, and uh, a couple of the other teams that I kind of mentioned, Quasi. Um, they do play kind of direct, uh, but they also kind of play out through the back. So the way that they play direct is through that dribbling, right? Through attacking down those flanks. Mm-hmm. Rodney Wallace does that. 
uh, Emmanuel Boateng, uh, Leggett, um, even kind of looking at some of these other names, Michael Berrios is on the list, Latif Blessing, Diego Rossi. So yeah, that's actually, that, that makes, there's a lot of correlation there just from the eye uh, perspective of saying, oh yeah, I bet you that probably correlates pretty yeah. well. So, um, <clears throat> and what we mean, obviously, I think when we're talking about an average pass, it's, it's worth considering too that, you know, a few long balls back to the keeper can definitely sway that in some direction as well. Um, but it's interesting, and uh, it's definitely not something I would have expected without uh, looking at those numbers. So, uh, you know, thanks at Dummy Run for a very interesting, interesting stat of the week. Uh, we're going to do questions today. I'm excited about this. We got questions from listeners or people that pretend to listen to the show. Either way is fine. Uh, we prefer you actually do, but but otherwise, if you just want to, you know, subscribe and ignore it or put five-star review, that'd be fine too. Uh our first question, uh, we got this kind of in a couple different ways, uh, but uh, one is uh, at Jeff Hine M3. That's Jeff underscore Hine M3. Thank you, Jeff. Um, this was referring to a tweet that uh, Juan Arango made last week that kind of made its rounds in the Major League Soccer discussion. Um, and what Arango originally tweeted was, I really don't think Landon at his peak is a top five player in today's MLS. Uh, Hercules Gomez kind of hit back with my immediate response was a hot take, but this is actually a pretty good debate topic. Uh, and Arango says, yeah, top five being Javinko, Almiron, Zlatan, Valeri, Villa, Ladero, in good form in parentheses there. Uh, Carlos Vela, I wanted to add others, but doubt that would be fair to him. Uh, and what Jeff asked is if we have stats for Lennon's peak in Major League Soccer available, uh, he would like an analytical point of view on this question. Uh, maybe touch on it on your next pod, which we are. You're welcome, Jeff. Um, and then Jared also added, uh, our friend Jared from, from ASA also added, is Ladero actually a top five player in MLS right now? There's a lot there. So let's start at the very beginning. Do we have this kind of data for Landon Donovan? No, we don't. No. I knew we wouldn't. <laughs> I yeah. wish we did. Like, that would be so cool. Um, we've, we've gone back and we've done stuff for Herc to where we, like, scoured um, – like in infancy days of ASA, I don't know if very many people know this, but uh, Herc Gomez reached out to us and asked us to put together uh, statistics for him. This was like, uh, gosh, like five years ago. Um, so yeah, so we went ahead and we we developed kind of an XG for his time in uh, Mexico. It was really super uh, nuanced based. We had to go through and scour lots of old ESPN chalkboards um, that they had. I suppose we could probably do something similar for Landon Donovan, but I don't know if it would really tell us what we want to know about Landon Donovan for a couple different reasons. Landon Donovan isn't, he, he had a couple really high goal scoring seasons and yeah, he's MLS's all time leader in goals, but he's never been a guy that takes a lot of shots. So it's kind of, I don't know. I think it's, I don't think it's going to tell us what we need to know about him to, to make certain claims on whether or not he's a goal scorer. Now, in terms of creation, though, just a goal creator, I think he's probably up there. Um, just in his you know, 2012 season that we have uh, data for in 2014, he threw up monster seasons in terms of uh, expected assists, um, stuff that's really still not quite been rivaled. So uh, I, I would be... Um, that's not to say that, you know, I mean, Sasha Kleschen both had some really good seasons in which, you know, uh, he, I think he's the all-time leader in XA, um, just off the top of my head. 
but yeah, I Brad Davis. I'm sorry, Brad Davis, 2011. Brad Davis is the all-time leader in expected assists from the 2011 season, which blew my mind. I think I, I think I had kind of like a nerdgasm the other day going through uh, some of these stats and just threw them out onto like the nerd Slack League channel, and yeah. I think we just kind of you guys just let me vent for about 30 minutes on that. <laughs> Um. <laughs> you didn't want to. You didn't want to buy the Brad Davis stock. Um, I remember this. Yes. It, the. Uh, I mean. Okay. Like. So looking at. We talked about uh, Donovan's monster seasons. Um, now we don't have the all the expected stuff. But what? What didn't he put up? Like a twenty goal, tw- almost twenty assist year one year or something like that. Twenty. Uh, twenty goals, nine assists. I think was his okay, two thousand. So not close season. to twenty assists at all. But all right. <laughs> But still, very good. Uh, that's not to yeah. say that's not to say that he didn't have a twenty. Like I think he had an eighteen yeah. assist season. So he's done that um, before. Yeah. The hardest part about this is kind of picking out where Donovan's peak really is, as he um, has been noted by a lot of people, was just really good for a long time. Um, you know, even up until the end. So I, I don't really know what season to kind of pick as a snapshot and say. Let's compare this to what we have going on today and, I guess, last year to some degree. Um, but, you know, I, I think Arango's got some good nominations here. Uh, Giovinco, obviously, a lot of people would be uh, comfortable. Let, let me correct real fast. I'm, I'm looking at down okay, on the sheet. He had, 19, he had 19 assists in 2014 and he had 16 in 2010. Um, our data goes back to 2011 when they're – the LA ga- Galaxy, not Los Angeles Galaxy. There is a key yep. moment in defining. I have uh, been, I've been corrected change, on this point a number branding. of times. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> that seems really obtuse. Yeah. No. If you've ever gotten media guys or like had media people reach out to you from the clubs, like they're very protective of their their brand. Um, and oh, cl- cl- yeah. Well, I mean, who hasn't blogged and gotten an email about you know Crew SC, right? Yep, or uh, don't call sporting Kansas City the Sporks, even in jest. They don't like it, <laughs> <laughs> which is That's understandable funny. because it's it's not a good joke. Um, okay, so Arango has listed, I think, five suitable nominations here. Javinko, a lot of people would be very comfortable uh, saying he's the best player to ever grace this league. Uh, Miguel Almiron, certainly a bright, bright talent. Um, and if he sticks around for a long time, will no doubt be in that conversation as well. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, probably, for my money, I mean, I guess except maybe David Beckham, but, you know, a big-name guy, uh, a world-class player even at this age. Uh, Diego Valeri, um, a very, very good player as well. Uh, David Villa, obviously in that same boat, probably, uh, you know, uh, talked about a lot as the best designated player uh, of all-time in Major League Soccer history, which is, you know, debatable, but he's certainly been spectacular in his time here. And Ladero, parentheses, in good form, <laughs> which is fair, uh, and Carlos Vela. Um, I don't know that I would feel bad about sticking a peak-era Landon Donovan somewhere in here. I wouldn't mind bumping uh, Ladero, in parentheses, in good form, out of that list uh, in favor of Donovan at peak. Um, probably... Well, first, first you have to kind of acknowledge that these are a really unique subset of like talents, right? Valerian, Zlatan, Almiron, and uh, Via, Jivinko, all of them are really unique in terms of what they do for their immediate team. So like trying to 
this is like, hey, we have a grapefruit and we have an orange and we have a pear, we have an apple and we have a banana and one of them is the best. Well, and I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the key distinctions to make here and that makes this conversation difficult is if we're asking pure talent wise, because a guy like Zlatan would obviously be in the top of that thing or, you know, productivity for his team, which I don't think Zlatan is going to have a 19 assist season or maybe even a 20 goal season. We'll see. Um but, uh, yeah, so what you're saying is right. There, there are definitely apples and oranges and pears and carrots and all that good stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if this is – I think Juan's point was to emphasize, you know, how much improvement in the overall quality we've seen in the league uh, since even, you know, back in 2012 to, to, to 15. Um, but I don't think doing that necessarily means you have to kind of, uh, you know, throw Landon under the bus. Like, I think he'd still be up here. No, I think so. And look, you know, Almiron's a really uh, exciting talent. He's not here. He's not there yet. He's not. He's not even the expected goal or expected assist leader in this league right now. Like, for him, Donovan no doubt dominated aspects of this league. Maybe he wasn't the best player in MLS. Uh, No, I take that back. There were were seasons he was the best player in MLS. I think there were several. There were seasons. They they named the MVP right after him. Well, well, just because someone gets... (laughs) Edgar Martinez has an award named after him. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Don't get me started on this crap, all right? Award uh, Naming an award after someone doesn't necessarily make ends arguments. But here's the deal. Landon Donovan was super good, but... Whether or not he was elite is and is he MLS elite? Almiron's not MLS elite. I mean, let's just be he's let's not? be honest. Even this year, uh, come on. This year he's been really good, but he's been inflated. He's he's had uh, the penalty kicks, which help inflate his numbers. He's been look, and I've been on this. I've come on the podcast, and I've kind of like step, taken a couple steps forward in the Almiron camp. Yeah, um, he's had some really awesome games, not moments. Like, last year, it was about moments. He's had consistency this year. He's had games where he was very good. I don't think he's played a bad game. I mean, one, I guess, against Houston, but that was... Houston. I And then Minnesota, but, like, I don't know about it. I was going to say... You know what he did, though? NYC, I don't think he he was great against NYC, though. I think he was okay. I think he was good. I think he was. I think he was inconsistent against NYC too. I don't know, man. So, his, there you go. He's got his his xG plus xA per ninety six is solid. Penalties or not, what's he gonna do? Not take the penalties? You give those to good players. I, I don't. I don't know how he's not in this top five. Yeah, but okay. Right yeah, now. but if you give you give those same penalties to other players, is it gonna? I mean, you give those penalties to Joseph Martinez instead. Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> does that does that take away from what uh how good Almiron is? No, I don't I don't think so. Does that does that make him less or more warrant to be part of this discussion? I I I okay. So are you saying that Almiron does not belong in this top five at all? I, I don't think so, not yet. No. What okay. Alright. Well, um Do, well I mean uh, look give me your list he's then. been really exciting. Yeah. Give me my list. I think that this is a pretty fair, fair list. I, there's a couple that I would probably add okay. uh, to this, and that's Bradley Wright Phillips, who I think has to be part of this. I mean, the guy, from a statistics yeah. point of view, the guy is the only one that's thrown up the XG numbers that no one else has. I mean, and everybody doubts him well, every yeah, single point. Yeah, and he's got point. the actual goals to back it up too, which is amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think he's probably one that you that you want to throw in there. Um, Ladero, I, I I will. Here's the thing about Ladero, and I compared him uh, kind of as a joke uh, to the the just the underappreciated wife that does like a thousand different things at home while the husband's away, and he generally is unappreciative of all those things. Um, I feel like that's generally how MLS fans are towards Ladero. Ladero does so much to make him to make the Sounders tick without Ozzy Alonso for the better part of a year for without uh, Clint Dempsey for the better part of, you know, what, six mm-hmm. months about uh, including single handedly taking to them to an MLS cup. Um, it, look, he's fantastic. And what happened in 2017 was he took a step back to allow other players to kind of have their, have their moments, have their, their share of the lions, uh, the shots, right. With both Jordan Morris starting to get healthy at different spots and then unhealthy and then Clint Dempsey and then Will Bruin. He definitely took a backseat and then Christian rolled on starts emerging and he starts giving off pieces of his attacking touches in the final third to rolled on to kind of set him up because he, there's that faith. Roldan is a great player, but he's a great player because Lodero enables him to succeed. Lodero is the type of player that makes other players around him that much better. He's a supercharger, and we see that through expected goals. I mean, there is no one close to what Lodero was through expected goal uh, chains. There was nobody. Uh, Michael Bradley was second, and even him, there was the, there was a step back. And anyone that's followed me on Twitter knows that I'll I'll rant and rave about this, and and I will. I think Ladero is fantastic, and I absolutely think he's a game changing talent within this league. And I think because um, he does it so subliminally, if you would, it transparent uh, kind of it's transparent to most people. I think that um, I'm surprised the amount of analysts that that really give him as much slack i mean he's a ball winning creator that, that those are so few and so rare that they exist i think i think right now within this span of mls ladero is on the cusp of being a top 5 and that's on the cusp so almiron i don't he's not in there for me okay. he's just not okay um all right well look i you know, I like Nick, Nicholas Ladero. I, I think all of them. I think he's a great player for the reasons you listed. Uh, you know that that, that build-up number, especially. Um, I I mean, if I'm taking anybody out of this list, it's probably Zlatan, which is weird to say. Um, I think just on a pure talent basis, um, you know, he's definitely one of the most uh, you know uh, amazing people <laughs> characters. You know, just just sheer individual skill we've seen. Uh, in Major League Soccer, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I've, I I don't see him kind of putting up the kind of numbers that we want to see from uh, you know someone that we're going to call like a top five elite uh, in Major League Soccer. But uh, you know we'll find out. We'll find out as that goes on. Um, you know we see him get more minutes, and uh, you know even against uh, Atlanta this last weekend, you know you really saw Zlatan just completely uh, you know neutralized. Not a shot, um, you know, very little uh, going forward at all. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I think I'd drop him in favor of Donovan, no question, uh, for me at that point in time. But I think we can agree that this is a 
kind of pointless hypothetical discussion in the end, isn't it? No, it absolutely is. Although, you know, what's really funny is there's two players that I kind of think that uh, I, I kind of looked up and I was like, wow, we haven't mentioned either uh, Nicholas or excuse me, uh, Nikolic, or we haven't mentioned Chris Wondolowski, um, which is kind of surprising for. Well, this I think for this year, Wondolowski would be a hard sell if we're doing you yeah, f- fair enough. But peak Wondolowski. Right. I think peak Wondolowski was. Uh, now we're talking about peak, and his peak was very small. It was much yeah. smaller than Landon Donovan's, but I think it was kind of yeah. Close. Well, he was. Uh, I mean, a few years ago, yeah, he's in this question, or he's you know in this discussion, no question. Uh, but in today's MLS, I, I think that if we're taking that very literally, and even to include last year, that's a tough sell for top five for me. Uh, question, as you as you kind of Freudian question. slip there. <laughs> yeah, uh, another guy, pretty dominant. Um, in the last few years. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I will say the one thing that this has done is just illuminated how many good players are in this league now. I, I remember not long ago, it was like every team got one. And, and, you know, now it kind of feels like we can actually have like a very lengthy discussion with a number of candidates for these positions and that that's really, really cool. So I think to Juan Arango's main point, the league is a lot better than it was a few years ago. Unquestionably, yes. Um, all right, let's let's get out of the realm of the hypothetical, and then, well, it looks like we'll just jump right back into the realm of the hypothetical. Well, we're going, we're going to, to theoretical here. Uh, question two this week is from Cole Sletton. Uh, real interesting data here from Harrison Crow. See, he likes your data. But this kind of stuff always makes me wonder what I'm supposed to be seeing in expected goals and expected assist stats. Us two, Cole. Us two. Um, all right, so we go on. We have a few questions here. Let's just go ahead and take these uh, one at a time. Is Elise having a better season than Miguel Almiron? Um, no. I feel pretty confident saying. Uh, I think Elise is still slightly ahead in the XG plus XA. Uh, he he is. And then on top of that, let's, uh, let's underline this. Elise has four assists. So, like, four assists, two goals, and the neighbor kids are just absolutely bragging it today. Uh, <laughs> look, Elise is having a dynamite creation season, right? If he ever starts uh, following through, he's been unlucky on a couple different occasions this week specifically. Like, he, he I don't know why, but he kind of has this need to, like, slide in to the ball to slide it home with no keeper, two defenders, and it just kind of... He gets no real connection to the ball. And so it just kind of slides off and it's easily cleared by Toronto. Um, He does get a goal out of of it, but overall, it's a little bit of a disappointing show. He's been so dynamic. He's just explosive. He's been that way last year, but this year it's it's another I have really enjoyed watching Albert Elise this year. I think, uh, you know, if you said... If you had given me this question in week two, I would have said, you know, no, Elise right now is by far the most dangerous player in the league. Um, and he still is creating at a, a, a wonderful clip, like you mentioned. But um, it, again, this kind of comes down to this. When we say having a better season, that for me, that kind of indicates a question more of productivity. Um, and I think it's hard to argue that, that, that Almiron might be having the more productive year. I think the fact that he's created more shots um, 
been involved in more shots than any other person in the last seven years through the first two months of MLS, I, I go with Elise. Now, let's bring this back to Mr. Sletton's, like, his question was framed because the, the data that I threw out was basically I kind of did a, this spreadsheet of the top uh, XG. Um, each each team had a top XG guy, right? Um, had the most XG from that weekend's play. And you kind of got to compare, you know, what different performances were. And, and yeah, so look, this isn't about Elise versus Almiron necessarily right they're both having fantastic years who's having the better one we all get to debate about it and you know there, there's different things that we're gonna uh, you have a different thing that you weight higher than what i do and, and so that's that's fine um is elise getting in better positions i think that's a totally interesting question to ask that i think can be answered through xg right um, I think he is. I think he's getting in much better positions, but most of that's because he's running. Well, off he's the ball, shooting right? from better positions. Um, yes, that that's a very good point. But at the same time, if he's shooting from better positions in general, he's getting into better spots. Hmm. So I, s- you disagree? No, I don't disagree. I, I think it's worth considering maybe that again when we're comparing an apple and an orange here. Like these are two creators, obviously. Um, and they're also two very prolific shooters of the ball, I believe. Uh, but Almiron, you know, I think has a bit more of a green light uh, than Elise would. Uh, like you see Almiron kind of pull up from further out. Um, so maybe Elise is shooting in smarter positions. But I do think Almiron has more goals. I mean, penalties, though, hard to say. Um, okay, so is he getting in better positions than Almiron? That's a tough question. I I think they're being asked to do different things, and I think they're both doing what they've been asked to do very, very well. I don't want to give a typical podcast non-answer to this question, so I'll say that, yes, I think running at defenses right now, Elise is a bit more dangerous on his own. Is that acceptable? Yeah, and I'll flip it and I'll play Davil's advocate and say also there is the amount of touches that Almiron is getting in dangerous positions as well that I think should also be considered, right? So, um, yeah, it's really about what, you, what you're what you wanting, what your flavor is, right? Uh, in terms of what it, who's getting in dangerous positions. They're both getting in really dangerous positions, and I think that's kind of the take. I know you don't like the, uh, the quasi-podcast uh, answer, but really, it's really hard to compare those, whether or not you're considering dangerous touches versus the actual, um, the, the actual production and end result of a shot. So right? I think overall, Cole, the answer to your question is we don't know. See how useful uh, data and analysis is? Um, uh, he then goes on to ask, this is a very good question, <laughs> are expected assists and expected goals predictive of future goals and assists? I will let I will let you handle this one, Harrison. Yes, they are. Asterisks. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, in individual settings, such as one games off, they they more tell you about what the process was of creation, right? And and you gotta definitely look at these. That's why looking at uh, these lowered expectations that that uh, you and me and Drew all get together and we put our heads together uh, and we create. It's because that there's a process to that goal, that that expected goal being created. Um, sometimes that's a good process. Sometimes it's very chaotic. But you really want to look at these individual 
opportunities and say, did we consistently create good opportunities? And over a stretch of about roughly 10 to 15 games, you start a, tr- a very evident trend and uh, predictor is kind of arises from that rubble and that ash of those past games, right? Um, it doesn't matter who won, who won those games, who lost those games, but you start seeing very evident processes that exist. And because those processes uh, are, at least in the past, have shown themselves to be self-evident, um, you're going to start seeing goals based off of it. I mean, over the last few years, you look back to 2015, expected goal difference, um, the top five leaders in expo- and expected goal difference have all made the playoffs with the exception of one. And I think that was in 2015, the San Jose, yeah. uh, San Jose earthquakes led for, or not led, but they were like the fifth team mm-hmm. in expected goal difference. It was really, really an oddity more than anything. So uh, over the last few years, we've shown that there are certain um, aspects of it that definitely um, correlate to success and not just success in general, but, you know, goals being created. Um, so, yeah. But let me play devil's advocate here for a second and point out that Absolutely. not always, not always. Uh, last year we had two teams shatter <laughs> our expected goals model, uh, Toronto and Atlanta, uh, both in the high 20s above prediction. So uh, um, not only that, but also New England. And New England, who is ever the outlier and statistical quandary. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, look, expected goals can't predict everything. There's going to be get some some stuff, some subtleties that it kind of gets wrong. And, look, for years when we first started doing this, it was RSL that used to break our um, – kind of break our model, so to speak. And then it kind of turned out to be um, a, a sporting Kansas City. Now it's kind of turned into Toronto. Um, it, it Look, good teams um, – can manipulate game mm-hmm. states. And I really strongly feel that's kind of what Toronto does very well. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, trying to identify what do they do? That's great, not good, but great in general. And, you know, I think that's, that's what I kind yeah. of came with. They are great. At yeah. Game and states. game states are something that as we, um, I say we, as if I'm involved in this at all, <laughs> as uh, the smart people at uh, the American soccer analysis continue to work on this model and refine it. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, game states are something that's definitely uh, a thing that's going to be kind of uh, taken into account as we kind of look at these things. If you go on our interactive tables right now, even, uh, it's very interesting to set, uh, you know, just to show what happens at even game states, which can give you a slightly different picture of, um, you know, kind of what teams are producing when uh, there's not a clear advantage or a... Um, you know, when a team's playing from behind, they'll play a lot differently than when they're playing when they're ahead or when they're playing when they're drawn. So um, do check that out. I do recommend it. And and as always, um, you know, we will always be the first to tell you that no mathematical model that anybody has come up with to try to measure this is perfect. Um, and there's certainly a lot of work to do on it. Uh, but I do feel like we're getting to a place where it's right more often than it's not. Well, and it's not necessarily about seeing yeah. everything, right? This is about making help using data to help uh, make better decisions and better yeah. discernments. So um, ultimately, we can tell just by looking at expected goal differential for seven games, eight games, six games through the season. Atlanta, Houston, Columbus, FC Dallas, and New England are all really and good they teams. Are. Except for New England. 
Maybe. Kind of knew that already. <laughs> well, I, you know, New I, New England's kind yeah. of a strange beast. Um, I I I, I want to say that they're good, but I uh, my tongue's yeah. kind of. No, I've uttered this phrase a number of times on this very podcast and in the written word that I'm never sure if New England is good or bad. Uh, they are always both and always neither. They are. Uh, they exist outside of time and space. They are a truly, truly. Uh, <laughs> confusing confusing team um all right we got several more questions here let's kind of move through these a little faster uh this is a good one though is Almiron a better player because he scores and assists more from less expected goals expected assists this is a question we get a lot and it's one of the things i think that people tend to um and it's easy to do i used to do it too before i was instructed otherwise but people that say teams that are overperforming players that are overperforming their expected goals are really good at finishing obviously um, that's not necessarily the case, is it? There are plenty of people for an entire season they've overperformed, right? Um, Robbie Keane, I don't think, um, had one season that he was in mm-hmm. either in the negative or even, even in, uh, expected, what is it? Expected goals minus goals or goals minus expected goals. Uh, basically, you know, how much better are you at, uh, scoring than the model mm-hmm. says you should be? And Robbie Keane was above every year. That being said, his finishing was below average every year. So uh, his was below, I should say, below league average um, every year. So it, it's kind of, I think that there's certain players um, that, and this is bears out in the data, that are just better than others at repeatedly getting into really good situations to score goals. Uh, more than their peers. And that kind of bears out in the data. Really good players mm-hmm. find really good shooting positions. Um, right. right. Like Giovinco, he shoots a lot from uh, beyond the 18, but he also is really sneaky at getting inside the 18 somehow. I guess because he's so small and people just kind of lose him. Maybe fullbacks aren't tracking him. Maybe that defensive midfielder uh, switches. Up. Mm-hmm. He, he, he really is. Um, and he's able to create shots off player. that. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I would love to say that um, that it's just because this player is so much better than other players at finishing. But over the year over year, um, players don't consistently um, out outpace the the model, and more players than not um, end up coming back down to earth and regress. So. There's a really long answer for you. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, that's perfect. Uh, okay, next we have a question. or Oh, we still have more questions from Cole here. Let's kind of bundle these up real quick. Uh, is Ro- I'll just handle this one. Is Roland Lamont good or not? He's fine. Uh, same deal with Sapong versus Bradley Light Phillips. Who is the better striker? Uh, it's Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, but, you know... S- it would be interesting to see, uh, obviously, if we could put. If I wonder if we switch Bradley Wright Phillips and Sapong, uh, and put Sapong on the New York Red Bulls and Bradley Wright Phillips on the Philadelphia Union, um, what would happen? <laughs> I honestly don't know. Uh, but it, it's hard to say uh, based on just that fact alone that uh, strikers tend to be uh, very much products of the system in which they're in. Um, that being said, Bradley Wright Phillips is, you know one of the best strikers to ever play in Major League Soccer. I'm pretty confident giving him the nod over Sapong on this one. Uh, but I would be interested to see how Sapong does in a different uh, system. 
Uh, as for who's having the better season, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, I, I, I know that Spong is not doing great uh, scoring goals right now. He has good expected goal chains. He does have good expected goals. He's he's appearing in our lowered expectations column an awful lot. He, he really is. <laughs> Him and Albert, the leaser, just... Yep, they, are, they are mainstays in those they, for some reason. They really are. Uh, so I, I would... who Okay, and then he finished up with who will score more from here. I don't know. Uh, it's a good question. I, I think just based on uh, the teams that they're in, I, I would say Bradley Wright Phillips. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say Wright Phillips as well, but I will also uh, caveat that with Sapong currently leads uh, Wright Phillips in expected goal chains. So it'll be kind of interesting. There you go. Let's get Sapong. I want to see Sapong play somewhere else. I'm sorry, Philadelphia fans. Dude, just you, know they, like you know they listen to our podcast. Just, Why would you say stuff like that? Just for a few weeks. Just for a few weeks, not a permanent. Why would thing. you say that? See. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, um, Philly. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Cole. Thank you for all of those questions. I hope that provided some clarity to you. Uh, if not, you know, hit us up again. We'll try again on Twitter. Uh, we're we're here to to help as best as we can, and we'll just refer you to people that are smarter than us. Um, okay. Uh, next question from. Oh wow! Look at this. Big name in, in the in the analysis game. Uh, Tiago Estevao says, what on earth are the Galaxy going to do with Joao Pedro? Um, I think they sent him to the USL team, didn't they? Yeah, they loaned him out. So basically when you take when you do that loan, uh, you're clearing him off your books. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think he was an interesting signing, and I don't blame anybody for expecting more from him. Uh, last year was obviously a very tough year for any uh, Los Angeles Galaxy player that was not named uh, Allison Drini. But, um, you know, if you look at what's going on in the middle of the park right now for them, you've got Jonathan Dos Santos, um, you've got uh, Perry Kitchen, you've got Baggio Husidic. These are all guys I would put ahead of him in the, the depth chart, and I think that that's, that's what you're seeing with the Galaxy right now. Yeah, Pedro, they, they, I feel like he was an eight that they kind of assumed that they were getting a six. And so yeah. I feel like he was uh, miscast from the from the onset, and because of that, really it, it caused a lot of problems. Uh, just trying to get him integrated in the team, and I don't think he ever meshed. I, I don't think that there's anybody in MLS that would take him on the contract that he's, that he's on. It's rather no. large, from what I understand. Yeah. So I, he's probably going to end up back in Spain. Um, so Portugal, sorry, Tiago. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that we've probably seen him play his last Major League Soccer game. Uh, okay, question from our friend Anna. And this is a bit of a sarcasm question. Uh, <laughs> and as a Vancouver fan, uh, why did Toronto FC suddenly decide to stop demanding success? Uh, well, that's uh, all you, too buddy. Soon. That's all you. Too soon. Uh, you know, this was kind of a funny discussion we had not long ago uh, where, uh, you know, one of the reasons that Toronto gave for their being successful was that they demanded success. And uh, I don't know, it, it struck us as kind of silly. So that that's what this is <laughs> um, in response to. Uh, but this is a perfect time to segue into our discussion of, well, you know, I guess it's kind of like presiding over a wake, but uh, we're going to do it. Um, last night, Toronto FC had a chance to be the first or second or third, depending on who you ask. Uh, winner of the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, I think first in this format <laughs> right. is the caveat. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had some success a long time ago, but the tournament was very different. 
Um, and uh, interesting bit of trivia I learned last night, too. The Los Angeles Galaxy, the only MLS team to qualify for the Club World Cup, but they canceled it that year. So there you go. Still a chance to make history for some Major League Soccer team. Um, obviously, Toronto came in to last night's game at a uh, aggr- or a you know, deficit of two to one. Uh, they won the the ninety minutes uh, two to one themselves last night and lost in heartbreaking fashion on the dreaded penalty kick shootout. Uh, looking at the expected goals from that, and we have uh, the uh, incomparable Mr. Paul Carr of True Media Sports, uh, who is you know just 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 a great great stat guy. Amazing. Uh, first leg TFC two point one six expected goals. Chivas zero point nine three. Last night, Chivas 2.79 expected goals, TFC 1.48. Interesting that uh, the team that actually won the game lost the XG battle in both legs of that one. Well, and I think that kind of goes and tells you uh, what you need to know about expected goals and game states, right? Um, Look, when you go and you score the opening goal, a lot of times... Um, that's going to put you on the on the front foot. Likewise, um, when you have a team that goes and scores, what um, Toronto scored that second goal. I'm trying to think. I can pull it up right here. Um, they scored that second goal in that first half. Yeah, right. Right as they're going into that uh, into the halftime, they're going to come out and they they had every intention. Yeah. So Toronto had a couple of opportunities. Marky Delgado will go down. Um, right next to Chris Wondolowski and like, how did you miss that shot moments when really I thought it was a lot more dangerous or it's a lot more uh, complex of an opportunity than yeah. like yeah. It, that, that was a difficult shot. I mean, he had, I guess the argument is he had more time than he, he took. And I totally think that's fair, but yeah. when he said, when he tried to settle it initially, it didn't settle right there. Like it popped up. Like you could see he didn't necessarily trap it in the way I think that he would have wanted. And so I think when he rushed the shot, um, it, it was like a series of mis, uh, misfortunate events, right? Like it just kind of yeah. compiled. Um, that pass by Javinko was amazing though. You know, it's a, uh, I want to address this while we're on it. it Guys, be nice to Marky Delgado, even Toronto fans. I mean, it's there were so many opportunities where Toronto did things wrong that caused them to lose this series, uh, and and this was just one small incident in a, in a in a large series of them. Um, I don't think you can lay this at, at, at Marky Delgado's feet, or even Michael Bradley who missed the penalty kick. Um, it's it's easy to kind of flash on to that moment, just as it was easy to flash on to Wondolowski's miss in the World Cup game. Um, you know, even though, uh, as been pointed out a number of times, like Dempsey had a better chance that he missed uh, not long before that. It, people don't remember that. It just doesn't have the same, uh, doesn't stick in the mind as well because it was just so, yeah. Well, time to, time's not counting down, right? It, all of a sudden, time is of the essence. Marky Delgado's shots at yeah. the 91st minute, whereas, you know, um, if you go back to... Uh, I guess there wasn't another shot in the box. I was thinking there there was. There was a sliding opportunity that someone yeah. missed, and it's not on the chalkboard. Um, so uh, I will just go and I think it was, hmm, might have been Jordan Hamilton that made a sliding attempt yes, into the, right. the box, and and they don't they did not credit him with a shot. However, uh, it was it was an opportunity that 
maybe that could have been a little bit better handled. But that's just kind of the whole point of this, right? Um, when you start saying what if, what if, what if, you can go back entirely through, like why did Drew Moore foul on that in what ended up being the free kick scored by Alan yeah. Polito. Um, like, I don't know why he fouled. I mean, everybody wants to go ahead and, and throw stones at uh, Alex Bono. Yeah, he's off his line. But number one, that ball is that ball took a yeah. wicked curve. And, and you really, looking like at the camera right behind the goalkeeper, you can't really even see it coming, uh, that the curve on the right. ball, until the last... The last 10 yards, maybe. And at that point in time, it's way too late. Uh, so, look, there's a lot of blame that can be go- that can be evenly distributed. Um, and, and, right, there's a lot of un- uh, unlucky circumstances that came out of this. Mavinga's injured. Uh, you don't have a healthy center back, That's crazy. period. Yeah. Um, with their depth know, of center backs, so which is... Um, and then, you know, Victor Vasquez, I mean, honestly, Victor Vasquez did not look good in this game. I don't think he did a lot. Yeah, he was um, coming back personally. I mean, it was, it was a, it was, it was a, I, I would have rolled those dice if I were Vandy, same as, same as he did. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably. Uh, there's, I think there's an equal argument to say, you know, bring him on in the 60th minute and then you have him for PKs if that's, that's fair the situation. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, I mean, that's, I feel like that's just kind of, I mean, you still had him for PK, so. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that, there are a couple of takeaways. I've, oh, no, I'm sorry. Jay, Jay Chapman yeah, came on yeah. a sub then. I was thinking he took um, PK. My bad. I, it, I don't want to, like, step on anyone's grave here. Um, and I don't want to be pat and say, you know, it it's it was a remarkable run. You know, it, it did the league credit. We're all proud of you, Toronto FC. We are. It it was. It was. It was a very good run. They beat some good teams on the way to get there. Um, you know, they looked very much uh, like the best team in the tournament. Uh, I think Juvinko took the best player award, which was, um, you know, hardly, hardly surprising. Yeah. I mean, he was. He was the best player. Of, and that's because a lot of the Mexican teams did not play their best players. They played them when they they played them when they're behind the eight ball when they realized oh crap guess what MLS came to play this year uh, apparently MLS you know brought you know New York Red Bulls wow they are actually pretty good wow Seattle has a couple of really good players that can beat a team pretty easily at at home really Seattle should have done better than but that's another thing um, look FC Dallas should have been in there there is no reason why Dallas wasn't in there it's in fact. Um, the fact that we're, we're still, that I'm still kind of frustrated by it is another thing, but, um, they, I mean, they've been really good in league play. They have been. And so kind of looking back to it, it's a, it's, it feels like a, another, it doesn't even feel like a stumbling block. It feels like a stub toe. Um, that just kind of, so. Yeah. All right. So here's the thing now, now here's where we get tough. What you're going to see a lot of, and I'll probably cover this in an article this week on ASA but I'll give you a sneak preview here. What you're going to see a lot of is Toronto deserved to win. Um, can you can you swallow that? No. I can't either. Yeah. I mean, based on last night even, I mean, they did get the two goals. They came back. 
Um, you know, I, I think if you take out extenuating circumstances like injuries, which I don't think can really factor into this kind of thing, uh, I think they just were over two legs, kind of outplayed by Chivas. I think they're almost out-tacticked. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, that's a better way to put it. The, the, the tactics of Chivas all the way through this uh, tournament have been, I mean, honestly, they haven't really stumbled that much, even for being... Um, all I've heard this whole tournament is how bad Chivas is. Right. And they've beaten the best MLS had in that uh, tournament. And not only just they, they they beat Toronto, they beat New York taking one shot. Yep. They beat Seattle. These are not bad MLS teams. Maybe Seattle's kind of bad right now and where at the time they played. But I I think that a lot of people have been kind of underselling Chivas Guadalajara. I know their league position isn't great, um, but clearly there's talent on that field. And the other thing is that clearly they're good at this kind of game. They're good at these sort of occasions. And I think it's a different sort of mentality that you play with in a league than you do in like these kind of head-to-head home-and-home ties. And I don't know, like you said, out-tactic, out-game-stated. Uh, Chivas managed these two legs extremely well. And, you know, they almost broke. Uh, it went to penalties. Uh, but, you know, they still managed to kind of come out on top. And if it had gone the other way, we'd be having a completely different conversation. And that's the nature of penalty kicks, unfortunately. Um, but I, I don't think this is necessarily something that Toronto needs to feel bad about. Like, it was a very, very good showing throughout the whole tournament for them. Um, but... You know, it had less to do with luck and circumstance and, and more to do with just, I think Chivas kind of out. I think Chivas won, won the leg, won the two legs fair and square there. I think Chivas out Toronto'd Toronto. Ooh. That's so, take. so Toronto has been, and I said this earlier, has been the kings of game states going back through MLS. They are really good at getting that opening goal and then just dominating the rest of the game through Michael Bradley, through um, their midfield play. And when they need to, they can open you up. Josie Altador is amazingly strong to help hold that ball up and create opportunities in combination with Sebastian Javinko. Javinko is amazing at winning. He was the most fouled player in this tournament. So it, it makes no, there's no surprise what's going to happen is, especially if they get a lead, they're going to slow down this game and they're going to attempt to create some higher leverage opportunities for themselves through those through those dead ball scenarios that they're so good at. And it's not that they're so good at because, you know, they they drill really hard. It's that they have an absolute difference maker in dead ball situations with Sebastian Javinko, who is probably the best that MLS has ever seen from free kicks. Like he is. It, it this he he scored the most goals from free kicks. I, I don't I think that it, it Probably there's somebody that I can't think of off top that you could have a conversation about, but legitimately he just dominated CONCACAF over the last two months with free kicks and open play and open play. They, they really, they dominated the game States. The look, they, they went down to Mexico a couple times, got out shot, but they never got out shot to such an extent that they couldn't handle it. And that is to say they, mitigated the high leverage opportunities pushed those shots out to where that they were um either they were at a glancing angle or they they were off headers instead of um through penetration dribbles they were really smart with how they handled 
the shot creation from their opponents over this entire tournament. And Chivas did that right back to them. Giovinco hardly got a moment on the ball. Josie, while he had some moments that he, I mean, he scored a goal uh, last night. He obviously was. Yeah, he obviously wasn't the same player, and a lot of people will will put that on Josie, but I honestly think that was on Chivas. I don't think that had anything to do with a lack of talent. I think Chivas game-planned Josie, and then Altador got came down with a hamstring there late in the game. I, that really doesn't help the narrative. Um, so, yeah, I think Chivas just was really smart and just executed everything that they had to perfectly. On that, where uh, Chivinko got punched right in front of the ref that probably should have given Toronto a man advantage. And I know that'll get brought up a lot too, but I, I mean, you play in CONCACAF tournaments, you cannot be planning on getting those calls. Like, that's just not a thing that happens in these tournaments. Um, well, we don't like, I hate talking about fa- like yeah, me fouls. Too. And, I just, I'm thinking of all the things cards. that, they, it's, yeah. It's really, it, and you're absolutely right. I'm not trying to uh, minimize it. I, I, you're probably right. Like nine out of 10 times that's called. Why that's not called Concacaf? Like who knows, right? Just, it's like you. If you've watched this tournament over the years, if you've played in this tournament over the years, you know not to expect that. Like getting that call, the, the, those things just aren't necessarily going to go your way. Um, all right. Now, as we're presiding over this wake of our Concacaf Champions League dreams, um, let's look forward for a second uh, before we wrap it up here. This creates a really interesting situation for us uh, as far as Toronto FC goes for the rest of the season because Toronto basically punted the first, what, seven games of this year uh, to win CONCACAF Champions League, and it didn't happen. Now they kind of find themselves way back in the hole. Um, you know, they, they obviously have a few games in hand that they can use to make up on some of this stuff, uh, but they currently sit at the bottom of the East. Uh, Atlanta NYC FC... Uh, are looking very, very strong this year. I wonder if we're going to see... Do you think Toronto has what it takes to catch up to that pack? Now, if you're... So, looking at it from the perspective of the East, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it. I love how you, how you frame this question because it was something that I was thinking about it today. Now that they only have, uh, what, 27 games left, you know, obviously it kind of changes the perspective. And it doesn't matter how you look at it, whether it's numerical, whether it's uh, points per game, Toronto is at the very bottom, right? They have stuff yeah. that they're going to have to overcome. And they've only played five league games, so I guess 29 games left. So that, yeah. that kind of minimizes. But oh, as we've... Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, but... As we've seen before with uh, situations with Atlanta last year, with uh, DC United uh, during cer- uh, certain aspects of their um, seasons and Montreal as well, that they've had to move uh, games further back into the season for either weather reasons or uh, construction problems or a myriad of different. Uh, yeah, it's never good. Particulars. You, you you want the points. You want the points, not the not the games in hand. Exactly, and so there is going to be. Yeah, I think that there's going to be some challenges. And to say, uh, like, I know uh, on a couple different MLS podcasts, they were like, "Oh, it's Toronto FC. They're going to. They're going to." Do- I I would imagine this this weekend's game is going to be a little bit difficult for them coming back over. Like just emotionally, um, as it from a human perspective, they're all really talented. I imagine they're very professional individuals. But I know from me, 
um, when I've dealt with stuff personally, things at work kind of take a backseat. And I, I try not to uh, dehumanize players to such an extent that I can't uh, empath- empathetically kind of feel for them going through this. So this weekend, let's say they lose, right? That makes six games. They have 26 games to basically make up uh, points. So they yeah. just fronted Atlanta, what, 10, like 10 points? Basically, yeah, in New York City, yeah. About 13, 13 and 14 at points. The moment, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess with games in hand, so it comes out to be about 10, right, roughly? Yeah. Um, 10 to 13. The, that's a lot to make up over the course of the season. And do we really think they're 10 to 13 points better than New York or Atlanta? I mean... I mean, they that's... might be over the course of 100 games, but they don't have 100 games. <laughs> and, you know, like it, they, it's just a tighter race this year. Um so, yeah, I mean, yeah, they were 12 points ahead of New, of Toronto of New York City last year. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, right now you're you're going to be dealing with a much tighter race going in that Eastern Conference. However, and this should be pointed out, that affects New York a lot more than it affects Toronto for qualifying because whoever's yeah. first in the Eastern Conference will get that bid to the uh, Champions League. It doesn't affect Toronto because they'll qualify most likely through the Canadian tournament. Um Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So. for sure, for sure. But I mean, I, I feel like Toronto fans and, and players and staff will want to defend their supporter shield um, since this didn't work out. That that might be a, a tall order this year. That being said, and I will, I will close on this note and and give you all you Toronto fans out there some hope in your heart. The last time this team suffered a heartbreaking loss in a penalty sh- kick shootout, they responded by going on to have the best season in the Major League Soccer history. So. This could also be a kind of thing. It depends on how they take it, how Vanny uses it. Um, I wouldn't bet against him either. I, I Last little bit, I'll throw this out there. They are currently fifth in uh, 538's uh, prediction to win the uh, Supporter Shield. They're, they have 6% odds. Uh, Atlanta has the highest with 30%. NYC with 15 Sporting with 13 And LAFC with 11 so. I don't understand how those odds work. I never have. <laughs> I, I honestly, for for looking at stuff, Sporting has a really great defense, so I know that that uh, that plays into it. Yeah. NYC, Atlanta, both good attacks. LAFC. Well, oh, and you think the Western teams are coming out of a weaker conference? So I don't know. Five thirty eight has their way of doing things. <sighs> yeah. Those people are smarter than me. I assume they'll get it right or closer to right. Um, that's it, man. We did it. We talked about all of the things on our High list. Five. I fives. Uh, we did not do game reviews this week. We'll probably bring that back next week. Uh, but we did like answering reader questions. I think I want more of those. Yeah, if we could get like one or two more every one week, or though. two more questions every week. And uh, so hit us up on Twitter for that. Um, you know where you can find Harrison on Twitter? I do. It's at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, he'll take questions there. Uh, you can get American Soccer Analysis uh, at the handle at Analysis Evolved. Uh, we also respond to things there. Um, you can find me on Twitter on the weekends at Total MLS, doing gifts and commentary, and you know making sarcastic remarks about things and getting people mad at me. Um, <clears throat> that will always be a good time for for, for me. So please follow along there. Um, visit our website www.americansoccernalysis.com. Uh, got a lot of content going up this week. We just dropped some ex- lowered expectations, which is always great read. Uh, now we've got spinoff uh, article 
a spinoff feature on that feature uh, where our friend Eric uh, takes and looks at the best uh, chances created of the week that don't necessarily wind up in goals. Um, and it's really interesting to see, actually. You can, you can see some great passes and feature some really good players. It's kind of kind of fun to see the opposite of, of the things not going according to plan. Uh, uh, you know, on the pass instead. So um, that's great. Please visit us at that website. Um, we will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you then. Until that, enjoy the soccer. Mary had a little lamb and it got fired. Little Bo Peep, she lost her shit.